Pastor Chris's podcast. <clears throat> John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement, and he's credited as one of England's greatest spiritual leaders. John was a godly man who spent his life serving and making the world a much better place. Uh, people have honored him by naming their children after him. Um, some churches have been named in his honor. Kelly and I uh, got married in a church called Wesley United Methodist down in Macon, Georgia. It was named after John. We are sitting today in Pleasant Grove Methodist Church because of the influence of John Wesley on our world. Many people had named their children after John. One of those families was uh, James and Mary Harden. James was a Methodist minister in Texas who named his son after the founder of the Methodist movement. He hoped that his child would grow up and one day live out the kinds of virtues and things that John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, had done. Unfortunately, their son, John Wesley Hardin, didn't live up to his namesake's reputation for Christian love and charity. John Wesley Hardin became a notorious murderer who killed his first victim when he was only 15 years old and in his lifetime killed 21 men. Yet despite all of this, despite his treacherous life, people still name their children John or Wesley and some even name their children John Wesley because they think of John Wesley, the spiritual leader, not John Wesley Hardin, the murderer. We've been studying the names of God to learn about his character. Today we come to a name that may seem natural for some, but may trigger very negative feelings for others. One might be tempted to discard the name altogether based merely on the negative connotations associated with it. However, we must not blame God for the sinful actions of people any more than we would blame uh, John Wesley, the spiritual leader, for the actions of John Wesley Hardin, the murderer. The name of God that we study today is Adonai. The Hebrew word Adonai doesn't seem very controversial until we learn what it means in English. Adonai means master. And master was a common word used in the ancient world. Both paid servants and unpaid slaves referred to their lords as master. In fact, some, calling someone master was a polite way for anyone to show humility and respect for someone of a higher rank. A student might call their teacher master. It's a tradition that's carried on today in some schools where the principal might be called a headmaster. Unfortunately, what comes to mind for many Americans when we hear the term master is the terrible era of slavery in this country where, where um, people were bought and sold as if they were no more than animals. But this is not what we mean when we call God Adonai, master. God is not like sinful people any more than John Wesley the founder of Methodism, is like the murderer, John Wesley Harden. In fact, it is precisely because God is our true master 
that the world finally concluded that slavery is evil. Christian abolitionists diligently argued and convinced the world that it is not right for one human being to own another human being. Their Christian belief that slavery is evil was based on their belief that God is already our master and a man cannot serve two masters, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Many scholars and historians, including non-Christian scholars and historians, argue that slavery could not have and would not have ended if Christianity had not existed. Without Christianity, there would not have been the ethical basis in people's hearts and minds and theology to get rid of slavery. Thankfully, Christ has changed the way we think about one another. But I want to read to you from Isaiah, the 61st chapter, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 3, but I want to pause along the way and make some comments as we go through. So let me begin. The Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Two things about this passage so far. First of all, you may recognize this passage. It may sound familiar. You may recognize it, that these are the words that Jesus used in the New Testament, in chapter 4 of Luke. Jesus once visited a worship service in his own hometown of Nazareth. He was invited to read the scripture and preach. And Jesus asked for the scroll of Isaiah and turned to this very place in Isaiah. And he preached a sermon saying, The scripture you have just heard has been fulfilled this very day. His sermon made his hometown people so furious, they tried to throw him off of a cliff. <laughs> I, I, thankfully, I've, I've preached some sermons that people didn't like, that people put, put people to sleep, but nobody has ever tried to throw me off a cliff. I hope you don't start today. That's the first thing you notice about it. The second thing you might notice, that I want you to notice, is where it says Sovereign Lord, where I've highlighted it. This is the English translation of the Hebrew words, Yahweh Adonai. We've talked about Yahweh before. Yahweh is God's holy name, which really you can't translate into English, but it means something like, I am, or I am who I am, and you can't control me. You don't tell me what to do. I tell you what to do. That's what Yahweh means. And Adonai means master. What, is, what has this uncontrollable, sovereign master done? Well, according to Isaiah 61, it says he has anointed or chosen Jesus for a special purpose to bring good news to the poor. And he goes on from there. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Are you brokenhearted? Are you trapped by someone or something? Are you imprisoned, literally or figuratively? Then the master has sent Jesus to give you some good news. These words of Isaiah were written 500 years before Jesus was born. Originally, they were intended 
to comfort and to console the Israelites who had been dragged away as captives to Babylon because of their sin. And Jerusalem, their hometown, had been conquered and destroyed by the Babylonians. And the people were devastated and lost. What are we going to do? How are we going to be saved? Those captives longed for a Messiah to come who would save them. And Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, came preaching these words and giving them new meaning. They were not just for the people of Israel, they were people, for people of the entire world who feel brokenhearted and devastated, held captive and imprisoned. We are all in need of a Savior, chosen specifically to comfort the broken hearts inside us and to set us free from captivity. And Jesus goes on, sharing his beautiful purpose for being born on earth as God's Messiah. As he read, He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favors come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, and joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness... They will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Jesus came preaching this good news, but not everyone wanted to hear it. Some thought that he did not have the right to speak these words. Many in his hometown had seen Jesus when he was a little boy, knee-high to a grasshopper. What right did this son of a carpenter have to speak these words, claim to be fulfilling them as God's Messiah? They did not accept God had anointed this man for this purpose. Others wanted to cling to their position and power. They didn't want to see the world change. Even if it was changing for the better, they didn't want to see the world change because it might threaten the life that they'd eked out at the expense of others. And if Jesus truly came to bring justice and set things right, it might mean that they might have to give up something. What about you? Do you want God to be your master? That's a question that we all need to honestly think about. It goes to the very heart of the human condition. We have a heart of sin, a heart of rebellion, a heart that's selfish, a heart that wants to do its own thing, doesn't want to be told what to do. Most of us do not want anyone to be our master, not even God. We prefer other names for God. We prefer names like Savior, Redeemer, Father maybe, but not Master. It's interesting that in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to master over 700 times. He's referred to as master over 700 times. Jesus is only referred to as Savior 26 times in the New Living Translation. And the specific original Greek word for Savior is actually only used once in the New Testament. John chapter 4. So master obviously takes precedence over savior. But we want someone to save us. 
We don't want someone to master us. We are far too much like the younger son in Jesus' famous parable of the prodigal son in the 15th chapter of Luke. Like that rebellious son in his story, we chafe against the restraints of God in our life. Who is God that he should tell us how we should live? What can, what, who is he that he could tell us what we can and cannot do with our own life? Are we not free people? Can we not live however we please so long as we're not hurting anyone else? And it is precisely this attitude that leads so many people to a place where they need someone to save them. Like the younger son in Jesus' famous story. He took all of the the money from his father and he went off on his own to live his life however he pleased. And it tells us that he spent all of his money in wild and loose living till it was all gone and he found himself working for a pig farmer, starving to death, so hungry that he would have gladly eaten the slop that the pigs were eating. You got pretty low when you're in a pig pen wanting to eat pig food. But that's what happens when we decide to live our life however we please without regards to what the master wants. It leads us into deep trouble. And we see this. All you got to do is do some quick Google searches, find that this is true. Leads us into financial debt. The average person in America owes $6,000 in credit card debt because they spent our money on things that they didn't have money to spend it on. $90,000 is typical household debt for an American these days. The U.S. national debt is $28 trillion. Is expected to go up to $89 trillion by the end of the decade. When we live our way, the way we want to, it leads to poverty, substance abuse, depression, heartache, illness, even suicide. Ultimately, it leads us to destruction, to hell. When you won't let God be your master... By default, you invite someone else or something else to be your master. And those someones or some things are never worthy to be your master, and they don't have your best interest at heart. But even good people who work hard, who live wisely, and do the right thing are in trouble if they refuse to let God be their master. This is, even more dan- this is an even more dangerous road to take. For the good people of our planet often become self-righteous. And they say, I have earned the right to be my own master. I have lived my life well. I have my life all together. I deserve the reward of my good living. I'm not like those lazy, undisciplined, self-indulgent people. I work hard for everything I've got. I don't owe anyone anything. And people who think like this sound a lot like the Pharisee that Jesus told us about. There was a Pharisee who came down to the altar and 
he was praying, and he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Thank you, God, that I'm not like this sinning tax collector over here. And he goes on to tell God about how good he is. Meanwhile, the sinner, the tax collector, couldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. And he kept his eyes bowed down low, and he cried, and he told God how sorry he was. And Jesus said, guess who was justified? The sinner. Not the righteous man who thought he was so good. People who think like this are the blindest people of all because they think that God, the God who created them owes them something. They cannot see God has already given them more than they deserve. He doesn't owe them they owe him. I pray that everyone would come to have the attitude where they can come before God and they can say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired hand. Be my master. The interesting thing happens when we come to God as our master. And this reveals the true nature of our perfect master. Instead of treating us as slaves or even as servants, the master treats us as beloved sons. Some of the ways the Bible portrays this is it tells us that, that God heals our hurts and fills us with his Holy Spirit. He doesn't call us slaves. Jesus calls us brothers. The New Testament says we are royal priests. We are his holy temple. Such honored titles for people who aren't even worthy to be. It tells us that God gives us royal robes and honors us with a heavenly feast. And God makes us co-heirs with his perfect son. God blesses us with eternal life where there will be no more sin or sickness or suffering. And then finally, Jesus showed us the master's attitude for us in a tangible way in one of his final acts of love for his disciples before he was arrested and crucified. They were all arguing about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, and nobody was willing to wash one another's feet, even though they all had dirty feet. And so Jesus, the master, who was with God in the beginning when the world was created, and who is God, knelt down as a slave and washed his disciples' feet. And he said, whoever among you wants to be the greatest must become the least. And he told them and us, go and do likewise. And so I repeat his words to you, Today, and I invite you to accept God as your master. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Adonai, Master, forgive us for our selfishness and our rebellious hearts. Forgive us for running after our own dreams and selfish ambitions. 
without regard to your wishes and your purpose for our life. Forgive us also, O Lord, when we thought that because we lived a good life, that somehow meant you owed us blessings, rewards, happiness, health, or anything else. For in doing the right thing, we were only doing what you created us to do. Help us, O Lord, to submit our lives wholeheartedly and completely to you and to be thankful for your grace. And help us, O Lord, to live as Christ Jesus lived. Did not consider himself worthy to be honored and glorified, but instead humbled himself as a slave and washed his disciples' feet. Help us, O Lord, to go and to do likewise in his name. Amen.